Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Tuesday, everybody. How y'all doing? How's the week going so far? It's just starting, you know? So we have plenty of time. If yesterday or today thus far wasn't great, we can reorient. Remember, tough times, but let sometimes, sometimes, I like the use of the word time over and over, let some of those moments that feel bad be just a moment, right? We don't have to let a moment become the color of our entire day. Sometimes we need to leave those rough moments behind and recognize, ah, moving into a new moment, a new hour, you know, a new part of my day. Let me be open to what that can bring me. You know, I don't have to carry what just was forward, right? So again, always centering ourselves in self-care and asking yourself, how's this impacting my mental health? That should be the barometer for a lot of things. I do it all the time. If anything comes at my way that's work-related, I say, is that in support of my mental health? What does my mental health need? And often that means setting boundaries, saying no, reorienting the way you're participating in something. Like I said, dropping the bar down to making 60% good enough. Our mental health has to matter. So make sure you're really centering that. Maybe do a little reflecting on how you neglected it yesterday and how you can start to reprioritize it because there's always so many ways. Got a great show planned for you. Later we're gonna be talking about how to deal with low desire when you're in a relationship where one person's not that interested in sex. Also talk about intimacy buffers. What are those things in our lives that we allow to get in the way of us really being intimate, close, and connected to those we care about? And as always, question the night is up on our Love Than IG page, so wait on that, that's in the stories. Got some interesting news going on. Um, Niecy Nash, she might be given a new talk show. Now, for those that aren't familiar, she came out as having married a woman. A lot of us were like, whoa, we didn't know you were dating. We didn't know you were dating a woman, you know? And she said, yeah, it's who I am. It's kind of what I realized I, I was interested in. And she says she's not worried about the impact it'll have on her talk show. I think it's good timing. You know, I want more people of color on television, certainly more queer people. And uh, we're finally at a moment where I think that that doesn't necessarily have to work against her. You know, I think we're more, more, more familiar with encountering people that are gay. I hope we're going to find out. We're going to see. Um, also, for those horror fans that like to do some interesting things, you know, that that iconic movie, Rocky Horror Show, Rocky Horror Picture Show, excuse me. Well, the castle that it was filmed in, right, is a luxury hotel. Who knew that? That's in London. You can stay there. That is amazing. It's also like when I found out that Camp Crystal Lake from the Friday the 13th, that they hold special adult weekends. Not adult as an erotic, but adult as in it's for adults only. And they camp at Camp Crystal Lake and they have Friday the 13th based things occurring. How rad is that? Now, again, COVID, not going to be happening this year, but something to, to flag and remember for another year. Uh, also, just more in COVID ridiculousness. Y'all, we still in a pandemic. Numbers are rising. Areas are rolling back. So it hurts my heart when I find out that some places 
places won't let people in if they're wearing a mask. Well, here's a place in New Hampshire, like good riddance. They shut their doors because they said we'd rather close than enforce a mask mandate. All right, well then peace. I'm glad you'd rather, I want places like that to close that were comfortable possibly allowing the spread of COVID. Dear God. Like, where's the care and compassion and ethics in that? Like, so disappointed to see how some people are responding to this. Because again, remember, the decisions we make around COVID impact those around us. So please, don't hold your birthday party this year. Please do not get married this year. Please do not hold that big holiday celebration. Please don't be part of trying to normalize people taking risks. Because God forbid you'd have to be someone who's responsible for helping spread COVID or getting it yourself. I wouldn't want you to have to go through that because I have some clients that have. And it's quite quite heinous. It's quite sad to have to see. So, you know, don't be one of those people. Um, Okay. So also (laughs) moving forward, for those that have been to any of my lectures or have read any of my books or listened to early Loveline, I talk a lot about how queer the animal kingdom is. We'll use the word natural as a way to shame homosexuality and certain behaviors. Well, it's not natural. Uh, yeah, it is. The natural world animals are gay as hell. There are so many trans animals, gay animals, non-monogamous animals. The animals we thought were monogamous with DNA testing, we know they are not. There are animals that change their gender. Oh, yeah. There are animals that are male that give birth. Oh, yeah, they're animals that impregnate themselves and they're truly, truly solo sexual. Animals that give themselves abortions, animals that have created sex toys. I write about a lot of that in my book, Sex Outside the Lines, and also when I travel and lecture. And I love this stuff. So I thought this one was a little interesting. Um, There's a uh, set of gay penguins that stole an entire nest from some lesbian penguins because they wanted to be dads. I love this kind of stuff. So this was at a zoo in the Netherlands. These uh, two gay penguins brazenly stole, as they said, an entire nest from a lesbian couple, taking all the eggs. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, the zookeepers are like, yo, that's in vain because... The lesbian couple are needed for those eggs to hatch. The eggs were mostly, most likely unfertilized, so they won't hatch. But I love that the zoo has uh, gay, gay and lesbian um, animals that, that, hey, they all want a family, you know? Every, everyone wants to feel included, you know what I mean? Even gay couples want to have children. And I guess those penguins were like, well, IVF and all sorts of other things, surrogacy don't exist for us, so we're going to have to go stealing those eggs. Unfortunate, but you know what? You got to do what you got to do sometimes. All right, y'all. Coming up next, talking about some low desire in sexuality. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back question of the night as always is up on our loveline ig page so definitely weigh in on that and if you've got some dms drop them in our loveline ig page uh hope you're also checking out my live stream show i'm listening live it's on what is that it's on every thursday night 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern that is live streaming at all the radio.com handles so that is their youtube twitter and facebook you can also go there to check out past episodes and uh loveline past episodes of that are podcasted that's right podcasted over at we are so uh post share binge you know gotta have a little dr d dropping gems in your head all day long it's a way to kind of you know amp it up or wind it down. Okay. So, um, look, this is one of the things that comes into my office all the time, right? Low sexual desire or different desire. What do you do when you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't want sex the same ways you want it or doesn't want it as often as you do? Well, one of the things you have to remember is that a lot of times people will use affection and sexuality as a way to just connect. It's not always an interest in uh, pleasure or orgasm. 
sometimes it's just trying to connect. Someone feels distant. It's a really powerful way to bridge that space and to feel close to someone. So you definitely, well, let me say it like this. Even if it is an attempt to just have pleasure or orgasm, that's acceptable, right? Especially if you're in a monogamous relationship. That is you committing to being um, a sex partner. That is you essentially committing to being available for sex, right? You can't ask for monogamy and then say, "Mm, you can only have sex with me, but then I'm also not gonna be open to having sex with you. Because then you're forcing someone into celibacy and that's actually sexually abusive. That's emotionally abusive, that's not okay. So if you're gonna commit to monogamy, you have to be willing to do the work of being available for sexuality. Now there's you know nuance and complexity to that, but that's the general rule. Otherwise, your partner has a right to say, listen, I can't do monogamy with you. That's just not right for us. Monogamy is for couples that have a lot of sexual compatibility or willingness to really do the work and be present. So remember that. It's not for everyone. And I know it's been the gold standard, but we're now starting to see some of the flaws in that. So you know, again, I go back to it's okay to want pleasure, but remember, sometimes it is a bid for attention. Now, whenever a partner makes a bid for attention, they want to talk to you, they want to spend time with you, they want affection, they want sexuality, we want to get in the habit of being available on some level. Because what happens is when we start to reject someone's attempt to connect with us, uh, they will internalize that. And essentially, at some point, they might feel shame, shame around expressing desire for you, which should be received and a compliment. That is part of and what centers a romantic or sexual relationship with someone, right? So we want to be open to that. Because again, if you start shaming and rejecting that, the person will internalize shame and rejection, and they'll stop trying to connect. And what happens when they stop trying to connect, when they stop reaching out to be close to you? Well, Either distance occurs or resentment or they start finding really problematic ways to get those needs met or a combination of all the above. So what do we do? Because I'm not saying you have to be available for whatever your partner wants. I'm not saying whenever they want sex, you have to do it. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. I want everyone to only have the kind of sex they want to have. But if you're in a safe relationship, which I'm hoping you all are, if you're in a healthy relationship, which we're working on, I want you to be maybe more available than you're willing to be because that's a safe partner and it's okay to engage in sexuality or eroticism when you're not wanting to. It's okay to have willingness. Willingness to be present with your partner, willingness and curiosity to see what could happen for you. So again, if someone approaches you for intimacy of any kind, affection, eroticism, sensuality, try to have a willingness. Sure, I'll I'll, I'll be present with that for you. It doesn't necessarily have to be something you're interested in. Again, it's okay to be willing. But the larger point is you want to provide something because we don't want the partner who initiates to feel shame or rejected. And again, we want to use intimacy in service of deeper connection. So if a partner initiates, and maybe you're someone who's interested in that moment or not in general or lower desire, whatever it is, be available to something. So here's what that would sound like. Hey, I'm not interested in penetration, but I'm open to doing oral. Hey, I'm not really interested in getting naked and having any kind of eroticism. I'll watch you or I'll masturbate with you. Or hey, I'm not really interested in eroticism. Can we just hold hands? Or hey, come here and lay on my lap. I want to be close to you in other ways. Or hey, I don't necessarily want to be affectionate or sexual right now. Let's go for a walk and talk. Provide something. Receive them in some way. So again, as to not shame or reject them trying to make a bid for your attention or connection because we have a larger problem if they start doing that, right? So every time they approach, 
even if it's perceived as though maybe they're horny or they have sexual desire, often it might just be loneliness or disconnection or horniness, all acceptable, because again, you're the romantic sexual partner, so you are the source that you want them to go to. That's in that theory. And it really bums me out when I hear people saying, oh, my partner, always wanting sex. Yeah, you're right, that's the deal. That Take the compliment, that is what that's about. And if that's not something you're open to, that's okay. Find a willingness, find something to offer, or say to them, I can't really be in a monogamous relationship with you because I'm not interested in sexuality anymore. I'm not interested in sex with you. So let's consider other options because I wouldn't want to impose celibacy on you. I can't totally take away your sex life. Now, yes, people get to have a solo sex life and people can masturbate, but for many, partnered sexuality is also part of their sexual orientation. And so for those people, it's something that we wanna have available. And so really think about those things when you're dating. Dating is a part of exploring that sexual compatibility and the chemistry and really seeing like what's possible and what to expect and what are our limits. But like I said, go beyond that and just be willing to receive them when they're trying to make a bid for your connection or bid for your attention or wanting to kind of bridge that distance and that space. You know, sex and affection and sensuality. Sensuality like cuddling and touch and closeness and massage and hand-holding. All those things are really beautiful tools and bridges that we have accessible. So take advantage of those, but don't don't shame it, right? We want to be open to our partner when they make those those bids, as we call them. All right, coming up next, we're gonna be talking about social media health, something that's coming up a lot. The impact of having a lot of availability to social media because we're home during COVID, but also around the election time. So we're gonna be breaking that on down. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, social media. I've told you guys this before, some of phones, some of them, I haven't seen that mine in a minute, but there's a uh, place where you can look and see how long or how much time you've spent on your phone. For many, it's horrifying. <laughs> I'm horrified at times, historically, seeing how many hours I put into being on my phone. Sometimes it's work-related, other times it's fun, neither's more meaningful, it's just, wow, this is how much time I have, I have access, or more importantly, how much time social media has access to me. Now, during our normal lives, whatever that means, pre-COVID, and I guess at some point post-COVID, I think we had more distractions. And uh, a lot of people are on the phone a lot more right now. And so we really make sure, we gotta really make sure that we are checking in on the impact of social media. So doing the live stream show, I'm listening live. Um, again, that's on all the radio.com handles, Thursday nights, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. I was interviewing Victoria Conifal. Uh, she was formerly on Days of Our Lives and also uh, TikTok sensation Jake. And both of them independently, different interviews for the show, brought up social media and how part of their self-care right now, the way that they're really taking care of their mental health, both of them on their own said they are limiting access to social media. And I thought it was a really beautiful thing because they're definitely in the millennial generation and they have even more encounters with social media, but they both were smart enough to say, look, we have to be aware of how it impacts our, our mood and what kind of mood we have before going on. I think that's the really the most important point is, what's the mood you're in? Because social media could be making that worse. You wanna be in more of a robust space these days to go on because we're seeing people ignoring COVID rules, people that are maybe thriving and you're not, all these different factors. And uh, what Victoria said that I thought was really profound is she said, you know, I set a timer. I literally set a timer. She said, I give myself every day 45 minutes and that's it. And if I get whatever I need to get in 45 and then I'm off. And I thought that's great because some, some, some people spend hours, hours a day. 
set a timer, check out my friend's stuff, very thoughtful about what I follow, and then I bounce off. And Jake said something similar. He's like, I check in with myself and I spend as little time as possible. I think it's really bad for us. And then Victoria, you know, again, in the interview uh, that I had with her, she circled back and said, you know, I, I use it for what it's for to promote my work connect with some friends and then I'm off. And I've started to have to do that myself. I realize you can get really lost in a black hole and click on this and click on that. And a lot, a lot of times we're looking at things that don't make us feel good. And the algorithm is picking up on what you're most, you know, what you're spending a lot of time on and it's recycling that and it's trapping some of y'all. So remember, you wanna use the social media apps, not let them use you. And there's a lot of advertising, a lot of body shaming advertisements on there, shaming us for f eating food or certain kinds of food, shaming us for not prioritizing you know, a gym body, like all these different messy norms and values and just really, really problematic. And I, what, what social media was really supposed to be about was connecting. What Instagram was supposed to be about is just sharing photos and now it's taken a life of its own on, but that doesn't mean you have to be beaten down by it or even participate in it. And so I was really thankful that both of them again brought it up saying it's an important part of the mental health conversation and it has to be. And I know a lot of therapists don't have the languaging and that's part of one of the topics I cover in my training. I do trainings for the Sexual Health Alliance and I talk a lot about that, that as therapists, we have to have an understanding of the intersections of social media, um, internet, and mental health because it's a powerful intersection and they both feed into each other. We can use social media as a resource for prioritizing our ethics and for prioritizing, you know, connection to community and for prioritizing, you know, new learning. Like I follow a lot of really great uh, social justice pages to really learn, you know, and some art pages and some really fun things. I try to center mine in things that make me feel educated or full of joy. Nothing that makes me feel bad because that's what it's always about. If you're feeling bad, unfollow. If you're feeling bad, take a break. But you don't need to encounter those things. You can really curate a page that reflects back positive thinking, uh, problem solving, better ethics, uh, and just topics you enjoy, animals, right? Those dance vids, food, whatever it is, but make it work for you. Don't feel like you're victimized by it. And if you're starting to feel bad when you're getting off, it's because you're using it wrong or, or you're going on at the wrong times or you're following the wrong things. So be very thoughtful about that. How much time are you spending on it? Maybe look at that part of the iPhone where it tells you how long you've been online. You know, maybe set a timer. And one of the bigger things I also tell my clients in my practice is one thing at a time. If you're gonna be on your phone, pause the movie. And if you're gonna watch a movie, put your phone down and put your phone away. One thing at a time, no more multitasking. You're not doing both, you're doing one or the other. And if you're spending time with a loved one or friends, put it down. And if you need to look at it, say, hey everyone, give me a minute, I need to check this, I'm waiting for a call. And look at your phone and then put it down and go back to them, one thing at a time. You're not allowed to do both. If you're watching a movie and you wanna go on your phone, pause the movie. And then when you go back to the movie, put the phone down. We gotta get really good about that because we're getting a little too comfortable trying to be on our phone while we're engaging others. And, and people got, have to come first and we have to stop putting our phones as a center point. You know what I mean? They're a technology. They're not supposed to be something that we're spending as much time with as we are. Thankful for them right now because they're helping people stay connected, helping people stay safe in so many ways. But around election time, we don't necessarily need to get flooded with all the updates around the polls and what's going on, right? So take care of yourselves around that. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're gonna be sliding into those DMs and then later doing some question of the night, so still some time to wait on that. And later we're also gonna be talking about intimacy buffers, which we just kind of covered a little bit, but we're gonna go a little bit deeper. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. 
All right, y'all, we are backing out. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore the confidence. Here we go. It's a little bit of a long one. Hang in there, y'all. Hey, Dr. Chris, I wanted to ask you a question, but I'll give you a little backstory. My girlfriend and I have been together for almost two years. The first year was incredible because we promised to date and learn each other before making it official. Oh, I love that. Really exploring compatibility, right? Which only is shown with time. Early on, it's just chemistry that is holding us together and driving us together, which is awesome. Enjoy that. But compatibility takes time and it's best shown when we start to have conflict or disagreements. And that's when we really show what happens when our personalities come together and if it's healthy and how much longevity we want with that. So again, giving it a, a year is great. You really get to see what it's like to be with this person. But again, compatibility takes time and it's really best shown in times of conflict. What is it like when we come together in those moments? Because when things are easy, things are easy. When things are fun, great. Enjoy that. But that doesn't really tell us about compatibility, right? It does on some levels, but not in the most meaningful ways. The most meaningful ways that speak to longevity and health and sustainability are what we do in times of conflict. First, it was incredible. We made it official in February. And that was also the last time we had sex. Bam, there it is. She gained some weight. We both have, but she's taken it really hard. So I saved up enough money to get us both new bikes. Aw, we've been working out for maybe the last two months and we've lost weight again. I never thought she looked bad or fat, even though fat's okay. We're allowed to have whatever body size we want. Um, and I tell her all the time that she's beautiful. I'm not going anywhere, but for some reason, it doesn't matter to her. Right, because even though our worth and value is part of what's reflected back to us, it's also the messaging we have, but it's also what we find desirable. She is fat phobic. She doesn't see fat as acceptable or desirable, and she's internalized that. And so if she sees herself as that, it's hard for her to accept herself. So she has to do some work on really, on body neutrality and uh, the beauty of fatness. So it's really personal work. And all you can do is what you've been doing, which is reflecting back that I love you no matter what you look like, which is what a partner needs to do. But I'll continue. There's more to it. Um, she just looks in the mirror. She's self-conscious. She won't have sex. I mean, that's part of it, right? Is when we have sex, we have to be comfortable in our bodies. We have to be comfortable in our arousal. We have to be comfortable with ourselves because we're presenting ourselves. It's a very vulnerable state, a vulnerable place. But it's been like eight months. This is back to the question. Like, I know there's no time limit to being mentally healthy again, but now I'm at a point where I'm depressed. I feel ugly. I feel like she doesn't find me attractive anymore. And I'm starting to second guess myself. Also, I would never cheat, but the Libra in me wants to be loved. I just don't know. So that's a really meaningful question, right? Because again, as you're now talking about, your worth is tied to your partner's thoughts about you, which I'm okay with. I don't agree with the idea that it shouldn't matter because that leads to other forms of disconnection emotionally in terms of intimacy. I want us to care about our partner's thoughts about us. I want us to care whether or not we're desirable to our partners. That is part of sexuality and sexual chemistry. I hate when people say it doesn't matter. It does, it's supposed to, we're in a relationship. However, you need to do the difficult work of understanding what it is, what's going on for her and not personalizing it. Because it sounds like her lack of interest in sex is very clear to you, that it's clear to her relationship, to her body and her sense of what's desirable. And you are now understandably personalizing it and saying, well, wait a minute, even though I know that, I'm starting to think it's a reflection on me. So you have to lovingly give it back to her. <laughs> you have to lovingly dig your heels into your understanding that all's well. Her love and care for you is not being communicated via her interest in sex. It's more about her relationship to herself. And so you have to do the loving work of being a little bit better, a little mentally, mental healthier, if that's a word, it is now. 
but you do need to talk to her about her exploring body neutrality, body positivity, uh, the beauty of fatness, because again, if she sees herself as such, but doesn't think such has value, worth, and attractability, then it'll be hard for her to internalize that. So she's the identified client. She's got some work to do. I say that lovingly. Um, she's in a very understandable position, but don't you take on the problem. That's not going to help the situation. You know what I mean? You have to be the source of the opposite. So circle back. Let us know how that goes. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about intimacy buffers, all the different things in our relationships that get in the way that's later. And then question of the night, which is up on our Love Line IG page, still some time to weigh in on that. So head on over to our stories. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, question of the night, that's coming up next. So still some time to weigh in on that. That's on our Love Line IG in the stories. And then some DMs. So uh, if you got a question for us, slide on in there. But um, look, in our earlier segment, we were just talking about this whole concept of taking responsibility collectively for you know the impact we have everywhere and on everyone. And that we're talking about sex and relationships. It's really important. So here's a story. I was, re- I was reading this story indirectly. I was just killing time. And it kind of took a different turn. It was basically the story about this woman. And she's married to her husband. They've been married for a few years. And she was getting really bored with their sex life. So she says, like, hey, let's let's invite a third. I feel safe and comfortable enough with you where I want to try this. It sounds really arousing. And, you know, like, as all people trying, you know, different open styles, look, if it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well. We won't do it again. Or maybe we'll learn about ourselves or whatever it is. So she says, but, um, this is a hetero couple. I want it to be a guy. And the husband was like, okay, that's cool. Like I, I could find pleasure in watching you with a guy and like, I'll see what my comfort level is. And if there's, you know, any interest on my end in being with the guy as well. So she invites a bisexual guy over now, how they wound up meeting him was online. I, I don't know those details and, uh, went really well. <laughs> And they had him over a few more times. So the outcome of this is the husband started to realize, wow, I'm, I'm into dudes. Like there's something to this. And uh, she's then left trying to make sense of that. Now, there's so much in this. Number one, you have to remember that when we meet someone, we're meeting them where they're at, at that time. And a lot of couples I work with struggle with a partner growing and changing, which is what everyone should be doing. Sometimes not in gigantic, massive ways, but sometimes it is. And we don't always grow and develop in ways that are truly compatible and have chemistry for our lifespan. And that's just part of it. But we don't want to limit ourselves. And so that is just part of being in a relationship with someone, that they're committing and the compatibility is based on who they are now. And that that can change. It's very scary and devastating for some people. It spikes our anxiety to realize that we, one of us or both of us might grow in a direction where the chemistry compatibility is not there. And one of us or both of us might want to end it or renegotiate the boundaries. That's got to be allowable. You can never say like from this day, I can promise forever or decades that this will always make sense, whatever the, this is. And it's fair for a partner down the road to say something like, look, I, I don't want to continue this. Um, let's just be friends. I don't want to do the romance or sex, or I no longer want monogamy, or I'm not sure I want marriage or whatever it is. That's mental health. Asking for what you need based on who you are and the two people or, or however many people are involved really deciding what works for all parties because relationships are supposed to have a positive impact on us. They take work, there is conflict, but they shouldn't negatively impact us. They shouldn't limit us. They should be things that we happily enter into and we stay in them as long as they're healthy for all people involved, period, end of story. Now, the other piece to this is it's a beautiful gift when someone's willing to share with you who they are on a deeper level. And for this husband to say to his wife, listen, I'm gonna be, I care enough about you and I trust you and I want you to know all of me. I think I'm bisexual. However that feels, the first response should be one of being loving, supportive, and caretaking of this person who you love. 
sharing with you something very vulnerable. And so I want the first response is always to be thank you. Like, thank you for caring enough to share that with me. And here's my feelings and thoughts about it. And you as a couple decide what to do with it. But that that is part of this. And not not and it's not about whether or not you're having sex with others, right? Because these moments can occur even within monogamous relationships where someone develops a new friend and through that friend, the whole new world's open to them and now they realize they want to travel more or they want to get into a certain hobby. And people can feel like they're losing their partner. I see that also when an individual gets sober. And now this individual who's always available or a different kind of person because they were drinking or drugging and now they're sober and they're more present or more aware or they're leaving their career or want to try something else or they're now spending more time with other sober people and they're going to meetings and they're no longer hanging out at home drinking or going to the bar with you. It can be very hard, sometimes traumatic. Who is this person? You know, they're no longer the person I knew. They're no longer the person I bonded with or the things we, you know, really centered in our relationship, partying and drinking, that's now removed. Does this still work? And that's a concern. And a lot of relationships actually end when someone gets sober. There's a high percentage of divorce rates and breakups because it no longer works because them drinking and drugging, although it might've been a problem, it allowed us to be who we were and do what we do to feel like everything was comfortable, safe, and compatible. It's really fascinating, but we can weather those things. We just have to be open and flexible and realizing that it's okay to grow and change. It's okay to have different expectations upon you, the marriage, the relationship, your partner. And, and is this person worth it? Right. And that comes up even with long distance relationships. Is this person worth the work it'll take to maintain them in my life or to go on this journey with them? And if the answer is no, that's fair too. It's okay if you just say over someone's changes, it doesn't work for me anymore. Those changes don't serve what I was looking for. Don't serve me or don't make sense to me. And I'm not sure if that's a journey I want to go on, or I'm not sure I can or want to accommodate that. And we're seeing more and more around gender, as I said earlier, and also sexuality, where it's a little more safe and comfortable for people that are male or male identified to explore same gendered attraction, where they're still stigmatized as you're actually gay, you're, you're really just gay and you're lying. No, bisexuality and sexual fluidity and pansexuality are real things. It's just we are so homophobic that if a guy's with another guy, we can't imagine that that could be just a part of who they are or something they're trying. That's how homophobic we are, that we can't even conceive of that. We can conceive of you know really horrific things like a mother, and this really happened, Susan Smith driving her two children into a lake and drowning them. That we believe, that we can conceive of. We might not really be able to relate to it, but we're like, oh, okay, I believe it. But a guy being you know bi or trying with another guy and still being straight, oh my God, not believable. Like really sit with that. Like of all the things that aren't believable, that's one of them, you know what I mean? Look at who our president is. Who, what? Like we now should be able to believe anything. And the, you know, medical uh, professional who's talking about demon sperm and seed and all that, like God bless what we will buy into and believe. And then when it comes to sex, it's like, we just can't quite extend that, that openness or flexibility. But, um, you know, again, the bottom line is we're going to grow and change and create the kind of relationship that can accommodate that. And that's how you know that your relationship can be long-term, that you will create a safe container in which your partner can be themselves. And you're not saying to them, look, in order to stay with me, you have to deny being who you truly are because that's not going to work. And that's not a healthy relationship. A healthy relationship is you can be who you are and you don't need to change. You don't need to change who you really are and what you need to accommodate me. This can allow and accommodate that. And sometimes it can't, even if you want it to and you try. And that's okay too, right? Like the work is about just really honestly assessing what's possible and what we want, you know? All right, coming up next, question of the night and then some DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And um, intimacy buffers, so interesting, you know? 
Uh, one of the most powerful things we need as human beings is uh, intimacy, right? And that means having um, who we are and the meaningful parts of ourselves reflected back, right? Talk about all the time how our sense of self is reflected back to us, right? We can't exist in the world without other humans reflecting back our worth and our value. And uh, that's why we always talk about our mental health is definitely directly related to the health of those around us and how they speak about us, how they make us feel, how they show us who we are. And that's where self-esteem comes from. And so we need intimacy. Our, our brains, again, are social organs. So is our nervous system. Our brain is organized and thrives within relationship and relationships are very powerful, corrective experiences. And without them, we don't thrive. And that's some of what the difficulty and the depression is right now, again, in the world, COVID, not having access to meaningful distractions and connections and resources. But intimacy is really valuable. And we talk about what the most important pieces of intimacy are, right? It's time together, it's touch, and it's eye contact. And that's why long distance relationships aren't ideal. They're very difficult, they are doable, and you make the best you can. You can't have touch, but you can have as much time together and eye contact because of technology, thankfully. We would not have thrived back in the day if all we had was a telephone without FaceTime capacities. God bless that. Um, but again, intimacy is really built on those three factors. So again, if you're not feeling that there's a lot of intimacy in your relationship, that's because sitting next to someone's body watching television is adorable, you can get a lot of touch, but it really feels most powerful when we're making eye contact, intentional touch, and that time together. So really check in on how much of that do we get. Now, part of the problem is what I just said. We have these things called intimacy buffers. These different things that we bring to our lives that really block our ability to fully be present with someone. And it can be anything. Anything that doesn't allow us to really make that eye contact, fully be present and engage. So I always bring up the example of what do you do when you come home? Are you very present looking at whoever's home, connecting with them? Or are you talking from the different floor that you're in? Are you talking while in the shower? Are you talking while making dinner? Are you talking while on the phone? Are you talking while on the computer? Because those things are intimacy buffers, they block. Because remember, we can't multitask. Multitasking is a lie. Our brains are only able to focus fully on one thing at a time. And that's why I say do one thing at a time. But we're trying to do multiple things. Neither one is getting our full attention. And we actually lose quality of attention in the transition back and forth. And so when someone says something to you like, oh, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm just on my phone. No, they, they aren't present. And I'm one of those people where I'll say, I'll wait because I know that you can't be present to me and whatever you're looking at on your phone, it's not possible. So we have to get rid of this idea that you can multitask. If you're trying to connect with your partner or your family or friends, Focus on that. If you need to do work on your computer, check your phone, ask them politely to pause for a second and do so. But don't do both. That's the intimacy blocker, right? You cooking dinner, great. Pause and come over, say hello, make eye contact, give a kiss, and then say I'm gonna to return to cooking dinner and then we'll check in. I'm not saying you can't have background conversation, but I'm saying that doesn't count as intimacy building. And when our relationship is really built on those moments where we're distracted, it's a problem. Now, first dates thrive with things like that. Some people find in the beginning it too intensive to just meet for coffee and just have complete eye contact staring at each other. Cool, go hiking, go to an art museum, whatever it is, you're allowed to have these buffers that can kind of help us slowly connect to someone. But it's not gonna make us feel as present and as intimate as we could be without some of those factors. Again, nothing wrong with those pieces, but I'm basically saying check in to how often we need those or have those. Because again, the quality of our connection and how safe and comfortable we feel is directly tied to whether or not we have the eye contact and the touch, right? 
and intentional time. So really focus on that because those intimacy buffers abound. There's so many of them. And that's why old school style, we used to do dinner at the table, not dinner while watching television. Because imagine dinner while watching television. People are watching television. Their bodies are near each other, there's proximity, but that doesn't necessarily build in intimacy. No one's looking at each other or really talking to each other. Again, television, okay, but you really wanna build in those moments. So it's both a commentary on the flaw and the idea of multitasking. Employers only hire people that can focus and do one thing at a time. That's actually where you get the quality of work. But trying to get people to do multiple things doesn't work well. The transition loses something, as does the inability to be present with one thing when we're trying to do multiple things at a time. When we all know that, you know, things fall through the cracks. When you're trying to listen to someone while on your phone, you're not hearing what they're saying. And we know that. We know that from memory testing as well. So just really check in. How often do I have that block or that buffer? And is there a way to pause, connect, and then we can go back to? Because again, we need time away. Even babies have a natural rhythm where I don't remember now what the rhythm is, but it's like a certain number of seconds of eye contact and then they need to break. And then they remake that contact. So we need to kind of oscillate back and forth in and out. So there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's just when you have nothing but that. Or sometimes in our lives, we need a little bit more. And so we really focus on building those pieces in, right? Because again, it's not just about relational health. It's not just about social health. It's also powerfully about mental health because that's a social thing. We're just now really understanding through this really brilliantly intellectual uh, piece called interpersonal neurobiology and attachment theory. Both of them tell us that without relationships, we can exist. Without relationships, we have no self-worth. Without relationships, mental health is nothing. That is what it's a part of. We This whole idea of individualism, doing things on your own, isn't real or honest. We're always literally or symbolically present and utilizing the care of people in some form, present or otherwise. There's always others around us. But more importantly, we're more robust and stronger when we ask for help and support. And that's part of this whole idea of more community care, reaching out to others, not trying to do things on your own. Being on your own, isolation, one of the most toxic experiences. So really practice reaching out if you're one of those people that really tends to isolate or work in this individualistic way. We thrive and do far better, which is also why people challenge school. You know, school is very much, you're on your own, you take the test on your own, projects on your own, but the world doesn't work like that. Very few jobs are you on your own. Most of them are team building. School really should be honoring that because school is only there to set you up for the workforce, truly. And it should be collaborative. We should be taking tests together and projects together, everything. Because again, most jobs, you are not on your own against yourself. You're working in teams or in departments. But school doesn't train you to be able to do that. It has you do everything in a solo capacity, some group exercises, but it's usually solo. And then we expect you to understand how to work with a team or a department. It doesn't really translate well like that. So anyway, changes to come. Question of the night coming up next. So still some time to weigh in on that. And then we're going to do some DMs. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. And now it's time for question of the night. Tonight's question of the night is, signs you're dealing with a toxic friend. One, they can't be happy for your success. That's horrible. Two, they create drama. Three, they feed into negativity. Four, they gossip about you to mutual friends. Oof, that's not a friend. Five, they project their insecurities onto you. Here's the question of the night. Since quarantine began, how have you noticed or cut toxic people out of your life. Yeah, it's frustrating, right? A lot of stuff is coming out right now. We gotta hold some of it a little lightly knowing there's a lot going on, people aren't at their best, we gotta give them a little grace, a little more room and bandwidth. However, 
the impact people have on us and our mental health and our quality of life, that matters too. So there's only so much leeway we get to give them. And we're allowed to kind of call it out, set some boundaries and say, hey, it's been really hard being in a relationship with you recently. I know you're having a tough time. Can we talk this through a little bit? Because I know I do that with my friends. I let them know the quality of our relationship. So I give them an opportunity to make changes and to understand where we stand. I don't take that right away from them by just making unilateral decision, right? So I try to talk to them, but I have what we call a brave relationship, right? Safe spaces where we talk about each other, what it's like to be in this relationship. Because again, the only person that can ever solve something is them. You know, we go to all these other people for advice and whatnot, and it's really a one-to-one relationship. If you have a thought, an issue, or concern with someone, go directly to them and them only. Yes, seek counsel maybe by your from your friends as to maybe how to frame it, what kind of languaging you use, but at the end of the day, you gotta go to directly the person to resolve things. All this other chatter and triangulation is isn't isn't necessarily going to do that. And when you go directly to someone, you're saying, I care about you. I'm bringing this up because I want you to be able to be in my life. I had a powerful example when I was younger. In my early 20s, I went to a friend. All of our mutual friends were talking poorly. And I went to the friend saying, listen, um, there's an issue. Can we talk about it? They weren't able to handle such vulnerability. Cut me out. Saw me as the problem. When I was actually just trying to bring up some of the issues so this person could stay in our lives, we want to be able to hear these things. Um, so the question tonight is, have you noticed or cut any people out of your life? First person said, the people who blow out your candles are toxic. Best to let them be. It's actually a funny little meme of a little girl having her friend blow out the candles. Ooh, she did not handle that well. <laughs> Somebody else said, uh, expressing the way you feel. Friends need to know about boundaries too, right? Healthy people are okay with boundaries being set. Unhealthy people who aren't familiar with boundaries push back. They don't say, ah, oh, thank you for taking care of yourself. You know, da-da-da-da. <laughs> You know the healthy ones when they say things like that. I always say it to people, thank you for taking care of yourself. I'm glad you set that boundary. Thank you for letting me know, right? We're not we're not thrown off by that. Again, since quarantine began, have you noticed or cut toxic people out of your life? People said, I just say that I can't go out anywhere anymore with them. The friendship will slowly fade. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, sometimes maybe things aren't aren't, aren't resolvable, but um, I always prefer people first having a conversation with the person saying, listen, it's been really difficult being a friend recently. Can we talk about what's going on? Can we talk about how to repair this? Give them an opportunity versus just deciding for them because some people are unaware of themselves. And I've been very thankful in my life when people have told me that I've been difficult for them. And it gave me a moment to decide what I wanted to do about that. I didn't take it personally. I went and sat and decided if I thought it was real and true. And when I realized it was, I decided I wanted to work on it. And I thanked them for caring enough about me to tell me. Somebody else said, if your friends are triggered by boundaries, then it's time to go. Yeah. I mean, we have to be able to set them, right? And we have to be around people that will honor that, you know, people that care about us will care for us. Again, question is, have you noticed or had to cut out anyone toxic from your life? Someone said, I'm trying to cut out my mom's side of the family. Still going through the process, but realizing their toxic is important. Yep, some people are having to remove family members because of their lack of ethics and the topics that are impacting them and people they care about. They're seeing family members that are disregarding it or actually part of the problem. And you cannot be in a safe relationship with someone who isn't safe or doesn't have good ethics. Somebody else said, um, cut out a whole friend, cut out a whole friend group because of their constant drug use and partying. No, thank you. Yeah, that's hard too when you maybe outgrow someone developmentally or your ethics change or your priorities change or you get sober and it's really hard to still be around people. It's okay to outgrow friends. That's part of the process. Friends aren't always meant to be forever. Neither are relationships that are romantic. Sometimes they go as farther as they're meant to go and the length of time of a relationship doesn't determine its success or value. It's okay to have had short time, short-term relationships with people. They still could have been really you know, meaningful and important to you, but they 
did went as far as they were meant to go. But I appreciate what you're saying. You don't want those norms around you, the drug use and the partying. You don't want that influence. You know, you want people around you that influence you to do other things with your time, energy, and your life. So props to you. It's a hard thing to do. Again, question of the night is, since quarantine began, have you noticed or had you cut out toxic people of your life? Somebody said, since we don't see people in person, it's as easy as blocking them on social media. <laughs> oh, man. Some people are a little trigger happy just hitting that block button. I had to do that, though. But that's because people just being attacking and really rude on social media, which I don't allow. You know what I mean? Go, being on social media, you, people have the privilege of having an access, access to you. It's not a right. They don't have a right to get to you. You're giving them access. And if they misuse that, you're allowed to block them. I always say that. If you want to disagree, that's one thing. But if you name call or attack, I just block you, period, end story. No energy or time for that crap. Uh, again, question tonight. Since quarantine began, have, have you had to cut people out of your life? Someone said it's hard to cut toxic people out of your life when they're family. How can we do that? Oh, lots of people are doing it because <laughs> your mental health matters. You know what I mean? And just saying their family isn't good enough. Just because they're family members doesn't mean they have a right to access you problematically and be toxic, right? All right, y'all. Thanks for those that participated. Next question of the night is up. So check in on that one. Coming up next, going to be doing some DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com. And we'll be back in two minutes. Two minute promise. Right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide back into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. This one's a little bit long, so hang in there with me. Hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Ryan, and I've been in a relationship for almost a year with this guy named Quinn. He's great. We are best friends, but I just feel like he doesn't know me as well as I know him. Damn. For example... I'll bring him home his favorite snacks when he had a bad day and when I have a bad day. That's adorable. But when you have a bad, but when I have a bad day, he brings me flowers, which is cute, but I don't like flowers. <laughs> Halloween is my favorite holiday, but I hate spiders. And so he made me a nice little basket covered in spider webs. Then the most recent thing was that it was my birthday and I love going to the beach, hanging with friends, drinking sports. He invited my friends out to a restaurant, which was nice, but the restaurant was trash and not something I would have ever picked. And it was the Lakers finals game and the spot didn't have TVs or beer. Then, oh man, he just, uh, then he took just me and him out to a winery in the middle of nowhere, which we ended up leaving because the place was not gay friendly. I know that this all sounds materialistic, but it's really frustrating for his birthday I gave him everything and he was so happy he cried but all I could do is fake a smile I was not happy and I didn't feel special at all it still kind of bothers me to be honest I just feel like he doesn't know me is there anything I can do I feel like if I tell him it's just going to either cause a huge fight or hurt his feelings I don't want either yeah I, I, I oh man that's a funky one right because it sounds like he's trying everything he's doing when you decontextualize it and make it not about you, it was very thoughtful and adorable. There's a lot of people going, oh my gosh, I wish. I want all of that done for me. So part of you does need to be, you, part of you does have to look at the fact that this person is trying to express care and love. But it a little bit bumps in that whole idea of like the love languages where we all feel loved and cared for in specific ways. And people tend to operate from the ways that make sense to them right? Again, we tend to not think outside of ourselves. We tend to not think what might they want. We tend to go with what we would want, what would feel good to us, and we act that out. And that's what the whole purpose of this love language concept was, which has some issues. But its point was, you need to think what makes my partner feel loved and cared for, and I need to do that. But we also need to do the inverse. We also want to see the love and care as the way they express it. It's a little bit of both. So I would say a couple things. 
make sure you have a conversation about it. If you can't talk about this without leading to a fight, then you have bigger issues, issues around communication and intimacy. So this is an opportunity to practice having difficult conversations, which is, hey, I love all the care and attention you give me, but at times it doesn't feel personal. And I would love if we could take time to get to know each other in a way where things could feel more personal because I want to make sure you're expressing yourself or doing it in a way that really matters. Look, I'll never forget, I had a similar experience where I can't stand chocolate cake, cannot stand it. I'm a big fan of vanilla cake only, okay? And uh, my ex-fiance got me a chocolate cake. It was vegan, so that was cool because otherwise I would have thrown it out, but it was chocolate. And it hurt my heart a little bit because I felt really unseen. But I also had to realize that this person is very distracted and that this person gets anxious, that I'm hard to please at times, and that they were probably in their anxiety to make me happy, weren't thinking fully and thoroughly. And I had to do the work of staying grounded because here's the real question. What you're really saying is, do I feel like they really love me? And if you know they do, let it go, truly, because then it really is about the materialism. The question's usually like, do I really feel loved? And if you do, then all's well. And if you don't, then go that route. I don't feel loved by this person. And, and, and them not really being able to give me things that are specific to me is just one of many symptoms of that. What do we need to do? Or what do I need to do? Or what do I need to request of them so I actually feel loved? And it won't be them just setting up the best birthdays. It's deeper than that. So I'd rather you circle the block around the question. Like, do I really feel loved? And if so, let it go. You know what I mean? Or you can also give loving reminders. Like I'm in a relationship right now and I'm sending like pictures of all the things that I would love to get. Like it's okay to hold hands, someone's hand. It's okay to be transparent and ask for exactly what you want. I've seen the beauty in that. Hey, my birthday's coming up. This is this would be like what this is how I'd love for it to go. Can we do this, right? In a non in a non-demanding way, right? So again, go back to do I feel loved? You know, because that's what it's really about. But it's okay to have this conversation about not always feeling seen and asking them to try to be a little more thoughtful about personalizing things. I think it's an important lesson for all of us. We all learn a lot out of this one. All right, y'all, that's our show. Loveline is podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. We'll be back tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out with me and have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your night.